Go ahead and take your Bibles this morning and go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. In Sunday school, over the last uh, several weeks, we've been uh, discussing a subject that you know, I, I told everyone when we started, I said, you know, this, you know, this could potentially be boring, uh, you know, but um, I said I'm gonna. You know, it was my desire to try to make it interesting. But we were talking about it might sound boring too. The um, the furnishings of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, and when you the Bible devotes a lot of scripture to talking about the furnishings of the tabernacle, and that's where. And sometimes I'm just gonna be honest. I've been reading through that before. And you hear him giving all these descriptions of how many cubits to make it, what to make it out of, and you kind of get a little bored sometimes uh, when you're reading it. But when you really get to studying that and seeing what it all represents and what it all means, it gets really exciting. And I'm going to be honest, I never was really that interested in the furnishings of the, of the tabernacle or, or even the tabernacle or the temple itself until I went to Israel back in 2000. And I got to see the place where uh, they have all the furnishings for the new temple that they're wanting to build. And I got to see the new uh, you know, table of showbread and altar of incense and uh, the golden candlestick and all these things that they are uh, wanting to use as soon as they can uh, get that area where the Dome of the Rock's at and they can rebuild their temple that the Bible prophesies will be there again someday uh, when the Antichrist is on earth. And when I got to see all those, it sparked my interest in it. And it was, as I studied those things, it was interesting because every one of everything in the tabernacle, it all points to Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament, it all points to Jesus Christ. And all the sacrifices they did, it all points to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And without going and reteaching all those lessons, you know, there's a lot we talked about. One thing I want to mention that was very clear in those is that it, that God took it very serious that those priests, whenever they would do their sacrifices and all their uh, things that they would perform, that they, it was very important that they did these things right. And one of the things that we see in the Bible and uh, that the priests on their garments that they wore, God said to put bells on those garments. Uh, we can read about that in Exodus chapter 28. In verse 33, you don't have to turn there, but I want to read a verse to you. And it says, And beneath upon the hem of it thou shalt make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet round about the hem thereof and bells of gold between them round about. Now the Bible doesn't say this, but what many people believe is that those priests, they had those bells on their garments because when they would go into the temple, into that tabernacle, there was a spot in there known as the holy place. Only certain uh, the priests could go in there. And then there was a veil. And behind that veil sat the Ark of the Covenant that you've all heard of. And the Ark of the Covenant, that was also called the Mercy Seat. And it was also known as the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And not just anyone could enter in there. It was just the high priest. He was only able to enter in there, I believe, once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would go and he would take the blood sacrifice of that lamb, that spotless lamb, and he would sprinkle that blood they're on the mercy seat. And many people believe, uh, it's, it's taught, so I, you don't read it in the Bible, that when those priests are going there, they tie a rope 
around themselves. They'd have a rope tied around them. And then the other priests, they'd stand outside there and they would listen for those bells. And as long as those bells were ringing, they knew the high priest, he was in there doing his thing. But if those bells stopped ringing, they knew they were in trouble. Because that means he didn't do everything right and he died. And they weren't going to go in there to get him out, but they needed to get him out. So they would pull that rope out of, they would pull that rope and they'd drag him out of that Holy of Holies. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but that's what a lot of people believe that was for. One thing that we do see in Leviticus chapter 10, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, they offered strange fire before the Lord. They did not do one of the sacrifices right like God had specifically told them to do. And the fire came out of the altar and it consumed them. So I mean, those guys, boy, they died... Just like that, it was very important. These sacrifices, they were they took them very serious. They needed to be done exactly right. Because these, I mean, this is the holy God that they were trying to approach. God Himself, I mean, He would He would meet with them in there. They would be in the very presence of God. And so I tell you all this because we're going to go look at Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. And Paul here or uh, we're not nobody's for sure who it was that wrote the book of Hebrews. A lot of people believe it was Paul, but whoever it was that wrote the book of Hebrews, he's writing to the Hebrews. All right, people that were very well acquainted with the Jewish faith. Uh, you know, these were Christians here, but they were former Jews. And so this passage here that I'm going to read probably seemed very strange to them because in verse 14 it's, uh, of chapter four it says, "Seeing then that we have." a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That last verse there, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. That right there, I think, probably to Hebrews might sound a little strange. And I believe this verse, if we practice it, I believe when we do this, it almost, in a way, kind of offends many lost people. Our boldness that we have sometimes with Christ, that confidence that we have in our salvation it sometimes can be offensive to people, and especially to the Jews, because they wait boldly approach the throne of grace. I mean, can you imagine being the high priest, and you know, as you're maybe you're one of the young children, you're the son or the grandson of the high priest, and you know that someday you're going to be the next high priest, and they're teaching you everything as a young child. They're preparing you to be the high priest, and they're they're telling you about the garments and maybe his grandfather walks in and he's wearing those garments with the bells and I can just picture that little boy asking him you know grandfather why do you have the bells on your garment well these bells are so they can hear me when I'm in the holy place cuz if I die, if I don't do everything right those bells are going to stop ringing cuz I fell over dead and I can just picture that little kid thinking I don't know if I want to be the high priest. <laughs> you can die if you don't do everything just right. I mean, have you ever had a project before or something you were supposed to do and it was very important that you did it right and you were just scared? Maybe you started a new job somewhere. Boy, you know, how about the first time you took a child home from the hospital 
and you're thinking, I've got to raise this kid. Uh, I've, I've got to be the parent. And, and you get a little overwhelmed thinking, I want to do this job right. You know, uh, when I became pastor here, you know, I was kind of a little nervous. I'm thinking, I, I want to do this right. This is important. But you know what? One thing I never had to worry about is if I didn't do everything right here, then I'm going to fall over dead. <laughs> can, you imagine, can you imagine me preparing every week if, if I don't preach exactly what God wants? I mean, I'm going to fall over dead in the pulpit. I'm going to be, I'm going to be trying to get out of this job real fast because I'm going to be worried about that. And that's kind of how it was for the high priest and for the Jews. But Paul, or the, the, whoever writes Hebrews here, we're going to say Paul, who I'm always thinking it is, he tells them to approach the throne boldly. Oh, wait, that, that's got to sound weird. Boldly? Why are we able to boldly approach a Father? We can boldly approach God. God wants us to come to Him in prayer. We are to boldly approach Him. The, you know, the definition of boldly, I mean, it's to be frank in utterance or confident in spirit and demeanor. No, no, I mean, be confident. You know, we don't have to go into a tabernacle and go into a holy of holies and wear special garments. You know, anywhere you're at, any place, you can at any time, you can call on God. You can approach the Father. I mean, thank God for that. How amazing that is. And our boldness as Christians, it's sometimes offensive to those who are lost. The lost world, they don't understand the confidence that we have in God, in God's Word. They don't understand the confidence that we have in heaven and in hell. And the truth is, they don't even mind us having our own personal beliefs. That's kind of the talking points. You know, hey, you can believe whatever you want to believe. But boy, when you start getting outspoken about it and saying that you know that the Bible is true, that you know that your way is right, that upsets them. But if you really believe the Bible, it's hard not to be bold in what we believe. It's hard not to be confident that what we believe is absolutely right and it's absolutely true. And so our, and the thing, uh, and I, the reason I believe this boldness is so offensive because most people, the idea is if you were to go and ask the average person out there on the street, if you were to go out there knocking on doors today and ask people, what do you think your chances are of getting into heaven if you were to die tonight? Well, most people are going to start talking about their works. They're going to start talking and, and they're probably going to try to be a little bit humble. Well, you know, I like to think I would make it into heaven. I haven't... You know, I never killed anybody. I try to be a good person. I go to church. They, you know, they might talk about themselves a little bit. Some people they'll be real humble. Well, I don't know if I'd make it. You know, I've I've got a lot of problems. And but one thing that you won't hear from most people is confidence. Either way, you won't hear that. And then many times, if you go and you tell somebody, "Hey, I know I'm saved," they will look at that as very arrogant. They will look at you as being conceited. I know the Bible is true. I know that this is truth. I know I'm going to heaven. They look that the way they see that is you being very conceited. They look at you thinking, man, this person must really think he is good because they are so confident that they're going to heaven. They're so confident that they're right. But our boldness is not in our works. The reason people out there, when you ask them this question, they can't give you a straight answer is because they're basing everything on their own works. 
And I'm here today to tell you that when it comes to my works, I have no confidence at all. In fact, I guess I do have confidence that based on my works, I deserve to go to hell. I guess I am confident in that. But our boldness that we have and the boldness that we have here in approaching the Father, this isn't us being disrespectful. The Jewish people, if you ever go on some of the Jewish websites and you read many of the Jewish things, whenever they talk about God, they will always leave one letter out of His name. Whether they're talking about God or Jehovah or Lord, they always leave one letter out because they believe His name is so holy they don't feel worthy to even write out or type out the full name of God unless they've been cleansed. Back in, uh, back in the old days when they before they had the printing presses and all those things, there were the people that were in charge of the scribes and things that were in charge of preserving the Word of God and that would copy the Word of God. And before they would even write out the Word of God, they would go and they would wash themselves and cleanse themselves. And they would, they would do all these prayers and things to try to cleanse themselves because they were going to be writing out the words of God and the very name of God and did not feel worthy to do that when they were dirty, or if they had anything in their heart that was wrong, and that was so that was in Old Testament times. But people who do not believe in the New Testament, they look at our boldness as being very disrespectful. They don't like it one bit. But the thing that they don't understand, the thing that we all need to understand, is our boldness is not in our works, but our boldness is in the work of Christ. Our boldness is in what He did. You see, it's not that we're confident in ourselves, but we're confident in Him that He keeps His promises. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have, for He has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. When we when we're confident in the fact that God is with us and that God hears our prayer, that the Lord helps us. I mean, when people say the Lord, you know, the Lord helped me, or when we give God the praise for things, it it kind of aggravates a lot of people because their confidence is in their own works, and they don't understand our confidence is that it's in the fact that God keeps His promises. God said, "I will never leave thee nor forsake thee." I believe God's going to protect me. I do. I believe God's going to take care of me. I don't believe there's anything that can happen to me that is not in the will of God. That God, God's got to allow it to happen. And people look at that and it's like, wow, you know, you really think you're something. No, I don't think I'm something. God said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Therefore, God's going to keep His promises. And if something happens to me, it was His will and it was for His glory and that's okay. This isn't confidence in me because I think I'm so good. He said, I'll never leave thee, nor forsake thee. I believe God keeps His promises. He said in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm not confident in my righteousness. I'm confident in the fact that God said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. I confess my sins to Him. So He's forgiven me. Why do I know that? Because He said He would. This confidence, it's not in me. It's in God. It's in the work of Christ. I'm confident that He keeps His promises. Also, we're confident that He keeps us saved. Now, there's many people out there, they know 
Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They know that verse. They know John 3.16, For God so loved the world. They know those verses. But when they hear you talk about the fact that you know you're going to heaven, it upsets them a little bit. Because they don't believe you can keep that your salvation, or they think you can lose your salvation. And somebody who says that they know they're going to heaven must think that they are awful good Christians. And that's not the case at all. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12. I want to show you this first. Once again, I'm just trying to show how our confidence, it's not in ourselves, our confidence is in Jesus Christ and what He did. In verse 12 it says, "...neither by the blood of goats and calves..." The Hebrews would have known all about this. "...but by His own blood..." Talking about Jesus. "...He entered in once into the holy place." having obtained eternal redemption for us. The high priest, he went into the holy place every year with the blood of the, of the lamb, the blood of bulls and goats. He went in once a year with that. But Jesus Christ, He went once into the holy place. And it says in verse 13, for if the blood of bulls and of, uh, the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified the appearing of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause He is the mediator of the New Testament that by the means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. See, Jesus Christ, He one time went in and He made that sacrifice. He only one time has to save us. And it says here that He gives us the eternal Spirit. Okay, Now, let me ask you something. How long does eternal last? Well, eternity, okay? It's eternal. That doesn't end. The Bible says that you know, through Him we can have eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That it's a free gift. That it's not of works. Now, if I give you an eternal gift and I take it away from you, was it eternal? Absolutely not. How can something that is eternal be temporary at the same time? It's absolutely impossible. And Jesus' work that He did, it was a one-time thing. And I'm going to heaven today not because of a work I did, but because of a work that Jesus did that was good enough, that was eternal. And so my salvation, it's not based on what I did and it's not based on what I'm going to do. It's based only on what Jesus did. It's, it's His work that keeps me saved, not my works. Listen, if to stay saved, you had to stay, be perfect or to, to just be good enough. Listen, even after we're saved, our bad works, if we're honest, still outweigh our good works. Our righteousness is still as a filthy rag, but it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But it's according to His mercy that He saved us. And so when we have confidence that we're going to heaven, this is not us bragging on ourselves. When we say that we know that we're we're going to spend eternity, when we know we're on our way to heaven, when our tracks we have to say, you know, are you a hundred percent sure? People get offended by that hundred percent. How arrogant can you possibly be? We're not arrogant at all. We are just bold and we're confident in the work of Jesus Christ. We believe that His work was good enough. That His work was complete. That His work 
was perfect and we're going into heaven on His coattails. Not on anything we've done. We're not saying that we're perfect. Many people, they'll look at you know churches like ours that believe you can know you're going to heaven and it's just assumed that these people must really think they're something. That they must really think they're perfect. Okay, if you think that, okay, I'm not I'm not gonna speak for everybody in here, but I'm gonna tell you right now, I don't think that. I've known you all long enough to know none of y'all are perfect. I I know I'm not perfect. I know that for sure. I mean we try we try our best, we try to do good, we preach against sin, we try to do we try to do good works, but it has nothing to do with earning heaven. Okay? We know better than that. And if they people hang around in this church long enough, I think they would figure that out. And learn that we're not a bunch of people that just think we're a bunch of elites that have, are good enough. We are just people that believe in the work of Jesus Christ. And thank God that His work was good enough. We're confident that He keeps us saved. We're confident in His work. Not ours. Our works are dead. Notice in verse 14 of chapter 9 where he just said, it says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, Purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Dead works. You know what I think he's talking about there? He's talking about people who are trying, even though they believe, that believe in Christ, that are still trying to work their way to heaven. Trying to be good enough. And listen, if you think getting baptized, you can, you can get baptized 100,000 times. You can do communion. I mean, you can read your Bible. I mean, you could do whatever. Okay, never miss a church service for the rest of your life. But let me tell you, those when it comes to obtaining salvation, those are dead works. They will they will not get you in heaven for one second. Those are dead. Those are dead works. And we're not. And what, the works that we do, it's not works for salvation. We're just trying to serve the living God. That's what we're all about here. We encourage you to do good. I encourage you to read your Bible. I encourage you to go to church. I encourage you to do all the things that the Bible tells you to do. But that's just to serve the living God. We're just trying to serve Him. Here, We're trying to be clean vessels. Trying to do good. But these works that we talk about, they have absolutely nothing with going to heaven. Jesus Christ did that work on the cross for us. One, one time. And we're confident in His work. I'll admit it. Our works are dead. They're dead. And when I, if I was to stand before God today, the last thing I want Him to bring up is my works. Okay, and that's the last thing. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna talk. He knows when I was in church. Okay, He knows about my good works, but He also knows about my bad works. I'm not bringing up my works. I would not recommend you do that. It's not gonna work. I want to bring up Jesus' work. Hey, I'm, I'm getting in on His sacrifice. I accepted His free gift of salvation. The work that Jesus did on the cross is why I know I'm going to heaven. So we're confident in His work. We're also confident in His Word. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the Word of God is quick. And that's not talking about fast, but that basically means alive. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We're confident in God's Word. It is. It's quick. It's powerful. I know this offends a lot of the world. It offends a lot of the lost. And it offends them because they have not read his word, and they've never put their faith and trust in His Word. But this book just always turns out to be exactly right. It, it just does. 
And I'm here today to tell you, you know, I'm not 100% confident in everything that I've ever preached. Okay? I do my best to make sure it's biblical. I try to be careful what I say and to make sure that whatever I speak is the truth. But you know what? If you were to go back and listen to all my messages and look for inaccuracies, you might find some. You might find some contradictions. You might find some things that don't actually line up with Scripture. I'm not real confident in my words. But one thing I can tell you is I am confident in this book. I am confident whatever I've given you that's from here, whatever I've given you that's lined up with what's in here is right. I'm confident in this book. And the world, they don't understand, they, they don't understand that confidence. Well, that's just a book. No, this is not just a book. This is the Word of God. And you read it, and you practice it, and you put your faith and trust in it, you're going to find out this is not an ordinary book. We're confident that we have His Word. Psalms chapter 12, verse 6 says, "...the words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever." Okay? You can't believe the Bible and not believe parts about preservation. It's there. God promised to preserve His Word from all generations. And I believe that we've got it. I'm confident in it. And there's many people out there, they're not confident in the Bible. And listen, I don't know how you can possibly be confident in your salvation and in eternity and not be confident in the Word of God. This is how we know how to be saved. This is how we know there's a heaven and hell. This is how we know what Jesus did. I've never seen Jesus in person. I haven't talked with God the way in an, or I haven't heard God speak in an audible voice. I haven't visited heaven. I haven't had any visions. I haven't gotten slain in the spirit and you know all that stuff. I haven't done that. I haven't spoken tongues. But thank God, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where you have to have those things. And my confidence is in His Word. I believe His Word. And so, when I start talking about knowing I'm saved and knowing where I'm going, once again, this is not me bragging. This is boldness in the Word of God. We're also we're confident that He wants to hear our prayers. Hebrews chapter 4, when He's talking about that there, He's wanting us to approach Him Boldly, I've given this illustration before. It's just like like your children; they're not afraid to boldly approach their parents when they feel like they have a need. I mean, even small things. My kids—they've been convinced that they needed ice cream. Okay, you know, they, you know, they're convinced I need that candy bar, and they're not afraid to ask because you know, I'm their father. You know, I, you know, Chloe, for example, I know as Chloe, she had gotten a sucker. Uh, I believe Kathy uh, might might have given it to her. She'll boldly approach anybody and ask for things, okay? But you know, most of your kids, they're not going to just go up to another individual in the store and say, "Will you buy me a candy bar?" Because that's not their father, okay? But they will. Their parents won't they? They'll they'll do it because their parents. And you know what? God is our father, and we ought to we ought to be able to boldly approach him. He because he loves us. He wants to hear from us. Go to Matthew chapter 27. I I love this passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 27. This is so exciting because this goes back to now that holy place, that holy of holies. And that holy of holies, it separated the holy of holies 
from the holy place. So only certain people were even allowed in there. You didn't go into the Holy of Holies without being cleansed and without doing everything just right. You didn't go just whenever you wanted. It was dangerous for you to even try doing that. And that holy place, it was they were it was divided by an extremely thick veil, a gigantic curtain. That when you read the in the Bible, it gives a description. We're not going to take time to read it, but it was woven from side to side. Okay. Keep, keep that in mind. This veil was woven from side to side. Extremely, extremely thick. And it says in verse 51, or in ver- go in verse 50, then Jesus, when He had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. This is at the moment when He died on the cross. And remember what He said right before He died on the cross? He said, it is finished. He finished that work. He finished that sacrifice. And verse 51 says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks did rent. There is, there's, there's no way you can, man can rent a rip a curtain like that. I don't remember exactly how tall it was, but I mean, this was a very tall curtain. Very thick. And it was ripped from top to bottom. Okay, you can't rip something that's woven from side to side, top to bottom. You could rip rip it the other way, but not that way. But it did. It got ripped from top to bottom. And you know what? God was sending a message to the world that you know what? This final sacrifice, it's been completed. Anybody who accepts that sacrifice of Jesus can boldly approach the Father. You know, today, you know, a lot of people, we were talking about the Ark of the Covenant. And we read the story of the Bible about Uzzah, who, remember, he touched the Ark of the Covenant and he died. And a lot of people think, man, if I ever saw the Ark of the Covenant, I wouldn't touch it, be afraid I'd die. You know what? I personally believe that I think we could touch it. The work's been done. Jesus Christ finished that. If we, if I was able to visit that spot in Jerusalem where the uh, the Holy of Holies is, I'd love to. They don't let you in there right now. People think it's holy and sacred. The priests, they won't go in there. They would not stand on that spot even if the Muslims would let them because they're afraid that they would die. You know what? I'm not. I'd do it. Because Jesus Christ, He ripped that veil. He's basically inviting everybody to come on in. He wants all of us to have a relationship with Him. He wants all of us to be able to talk to Him and speak with Him and bring our requests to Him and to come to Him for. Mercy, it says in there. Another name for that Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. Anybody can get in there now. Anybody can find mercy because that final sacrifice, that work that was done by Jesus Christ, it was done. It was complete. We can boldly approach the Father because of His Son, Jesus Christ. I read. I read. I was reading a story. I heard this years ago. I don't know. Said I don't know if it's. Uh, Historically accurate story. If it's one of them, you know, email stories that get spread around. But I think it's it's kind of a neat story. But it says, following the Civil War, a dejected Confederate soldier was sitting outside the grounds of the White House. A young boy approached him and inquired why he was so sad. The soldier related how he had repeatedly tried to see President Lincoln and to tell him he was unjustly deprived of certain lands in the South following the war. On each occasion, as he attempted to enter the White House. The guards crossed their bayoneted guns in front of the doors and turned him away. The boy motioned to the old soldier to follow him. 
When they approached the entrance, the guard came to the attention, stepped back, and opened the door for the boy. He proceeded to the library where the president was resting and introduced the soldier to his father. The boy was Tad Lincoln. The soldier had gained an audience with the president through the president's son. And you know, that's how we are able to boldly approach the Father. Because of Jesus Christ. Because of His Son. We are able to approach a holy God. Us dirty, rotten sinners. Okay, I mean, we are, we are, I mean, study the Bible, study the holiness of God, study what God expected. We are dirty, low down, stinking, filthy, rotten sinners. We just, let's just admit it. That is what we are. And yet, we are able to boldly approach the Father, and it is 100% because of the Son. Because of Him. Because of His work. Because when He was on the cross, He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He took our sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He is our great High Priest. Everything He did... He did it and to completion. He did it right. That verse we read in Hebrews said, you know, he's the New Testament. That New Testament means a new covenant. That Old Testament, that was the Old Covenant. But now we have a New Testament, a new covenant, or a better covenant. Jesus Christ, the righteous, he died. And so that boldly approaching the Father, the fact that anywhere at any time, we boldly can call out to God and ask him for ask him for mercy ask him for help why do we have that confidence why do we confidently tell people we know we're on our way to heaven because of Jesus Christ because of what he did on the cross it has nothing to do with our works and we need to do our best to make sure one that we understand that if you're thinking you're going to heaven because you're just a good person or because you go to church or whatever or because of some work that you've done, boy, you're sad. You're you're in big trouble. Our works can't get us into heaven. It's all about the work of Jesus Christ, and we need to get that message out. That's why it's important that we point people not to ourselves and our works, but we point them to Jesus Christ. If they get to looking at me too much, well, they're gonna they're gonna find some problems real quick. They're gonna be disappointed. But if I can if I can get them looking at Christ, he's not gonna. Disappoint them. Everything that he did, it was good. It was complete. If they put their faith and trust in him, they will be okay. I can't save anybody's soul, but Jesus Christ can. And thank God for that, that we have the privilege now to boldly approach the Father. So that, let's all stand together.